Welcome, everyone, to this very snowy, snowy Valentine's Day in uh, Seattle. Special musical guest, uh, Elvis Costello, <laughs> is joining us today. This is Elvis Costello, and this is from his album, Spike. Good morning, Roberta. I'm saying hello to all the Facebook people, to all the online listeners. Good morning as well, or good afternoon, or hello, wherever you are. It's, it's in Seattle, and there's 18 inches of snow. And when my son found out it was snowing, he said, uh, I hope we don't have to move again because for some reason he thinks I, I wanted to leave Seattle because of the snow. I mean, that was Seattle, Minnesota. I mean, that was part of it. So this wasn't part of the deal, Seattle. You're not supposed to snow. I don't like to be an extra lockdown. <laughs> now I can't, I've got like literally like this much snow on the top of my car. So... I'm stuck inside eating ramen noodles and children's snacks. That's why I only film from here up. So it's Valentine's Day, and uh, yeah, woohoo! Uh, nothing like Sunday Valentine's Day. I always looked forward to Valentine's Day at school because we got to make those little mailboxes. You brought in a whole shoebox. I remember one year I made one with a plastic. I cut it out, and then I put saran wrap in, and then I made it look like water, and I put a... G.I. Joe diver underneath to make it look like I had someone, like there was underwater diver inside my, my Valentine mailbox. So, too bad we all don't still have those little Valentine mailboxes, right? And once again, I'm on my sinking couch, so this will just be happening over time. Um, Caleb is not here because I could not go pick Caleb up this morning because of the snow. So, that's what we get. So... I miss my my co-host, my DJ. So, so Elvis Costello is going to fill in for Caleb's day, and that's from the Spike album, which is an album that changed my life when I was a kid, and probably got me into punk rock. So here we are. Um, what we're going to do is we are going to do a wrap up of the Book of Galatians. Um, and I was going to just do it all today, but I've decided to cut it into two weeks. The Galatians wrap-up, why not just stretch it out and milk it for all it's worth? I've gotten a lot of great feedback um, from you folks uh, on Galatians, and I appreciate it. It is uh, it's my favorite book to go through, so I'm glad we get to do it. I am also thinking about doing a, a special engagement, an online special engagement, um, where I would go through Tillich's, Paul Tillich's sermon, You Are Accepted. Um, I'm not sure how many people would be interested in that, but I'm thinking about doing it um, sometime. But I just want to put that out there. So if you're interested in, in maybe reading through Tillich's sermon and going through my teaching and, and his teachings of uh, grace and acceptance, that might be something we do. Um, uh, kind of a offshoot of what I'm doing now, kind of a special class. Anyhow, well, you know, maybe provide you with the with with the Tillich stuff and all that as well. So, 
and we'll talk about that soon. One of the things that has come up, which is kind of lousy, is um, my computer, about a year ago, my kid spilt water on it, and I tried to get it fixed and couldn't get it fixed, so I've been just using my cell phone for all my work needs, and we've been relying on Caleb's computer, um, but now it looks like Caleb's computer is crashing. So I'm going to put this out there as kind of a Hail Mary. Um, see what you think about it. Um, we, uh, we need some type of, some, some type of Apple laptop in order to put our sermons up, put our talks up, put all the revolution stuff up, do all our online stuff. And we don't have one. So what I'm asking is if anybody out there has an old Apple laptop, my old MacBook, you know, you got a new one and you just put it in the closet and it, we would be able to put back on factory settings. Um, it would just be temporary because we did a GoFundMe and we were going to use a little money to hopefully go towards a new computer, but I had to contact GoFundMe because we're a nonprofit. They send the money differently and they haven't sent the money yet. So I sent them an email last night going like, hey guys, we've got our PayPal account open. What's going on? We, we need to get the finances. So we're working on that right now. But if there's anybody who might have an old laptop, an old Apple computer, MacBook, because that's what we use for editing and everything, um, and want to donate it to the church, we could. I'm sure we could figure out a way to give you a tax write-off for that. Um, it would be a huge, huge saver. So if you want to just write in the comments, hey, Caleb, because Caleb's going to be reading the comments, or hey, Revolution, you know, I have an old computer you can use. That would be great. Um, just to help us get through the next month or two before we're able to get something new. So if anybody out there has an old computer, that's our call. We need, we need your help, and uh, that would help us continue what we're doing right now because with lockdown and snow, and of course it goes down when it's snowing, so we're having to kind of really struggle to get all of our podcasts up. We had to ask somebody else. We had to ask Brian today in Minnesota to put up our last talk up on the podcasts, so... That's where we're at. You can see Caleb is putting up his little prayer signs on uh, Facebook right now. So if you can, great. We'd appreciate it. Um, there you go. There's my, my, my push for the day. We looking for a, looking for a uh, MacBook, a used MacBook. I mean, if you want to give us a new one, we'll take that too. But really, if you've got one laying around that we could use, that would help even a really awesome iPad or something. We just need some equipment to get to get on our feet just for a couple weeks. So, I feel like we're we're flying the Millennium Falcon. We're doing everything we can to keep this thing running. Yesterday, the the kids went to their mom's early because of the snow, so um they're playing in the snow today having a great time. Um but I got to watch um, an interview with Martin Luther King, and it was really fascinating. Um, it's about an hour and 40 minutes, and it's just him being interviewed. And uh, it's funny because the guy who's interviewing him is just chain-smoking cigarettes. It's, it's, the 60s were such a funny time. Um, but <clears throat> this is kind of a side note, but I did want to talk about this a little bit this morning because I think we're all still, we're, we're all still in this you know, America's still separated. We're all still, you know, I, I've, I've seen some things about 
fallen recently a couple fallen ministers and things and, and you just see this like separation of, of people's thoughts and and, and and kind of arguing with each other and you know this continued I mean I think I think conversation is great and I think analyzing these things and thinking through these things are great um, but the the guy who was interviewing uh, Reverend King said, you know, why nonviolence? You know, why are you why are you practicing nonviolence? Why not? You know, uh, what about what Malcolm X is doing? You know, what about uh, other black leaders are doing? And um, you know, why why not fight? You know, why not fight? And uh, Dr. King said, well, you know, when we're, we're what we're doing here in this country is we're trying to heal one another. And we've got to focus on healing one another. And if we go to war with one another, you know, and, and trying to end racism, but we go to war and we hurt one another, the fact is, is even if we win with, with, with violence, is the next day when we win, we're all still neighbors. And the trauma that is caused by violence and by anger and hate is still there. And he goes, and then we're stuck with a decade, two, three, four decades of trying to heal from that trauma, the trauma of going to war with each other, with fighting with each other, with hurting one another. I think we all come from a background in trauma, and a lot of times I hear people who have a lot of trauma from the church and hurt by the church. You know, but I don't think we often realize how much trauma we cause when we fight with each other, when we say horrible things to each other, when we hurt each other, when we scapegoat each other, um, when we talk at rather than talk with someone. And we don't realize is that those folks have to deal with that trauma as well, even if it might not seem like trauma. And trauma can often take a long time to heal from. So how we go about changing each other's lives and changing these extremely difficult times, I think is again, I think King has it with nonviolence. I think Gandhi had it with nonviolence. I think arguing well, recognizing each other's humanity allows us to get to a place that when we do hopefully come to a moment of agreement, and that's not always going to happen, obviously. I'm not you know, I'm not naive, but, but when we get to that point, there won't be so much trauma that we have to spend years healing from the trauma that we caused one another. Anyway, that, that was one of the things I was thinking about. Also, as I was looking at some of these, uh, these, these things about these pastors who've fallen, um, I don't know a lot about them. I do know Carl Lentz a little bit um, from Hillsong because when I was in New York City uh, doing a lot of my activism with the LGBTQ folks and with Soul Force, um, well, one time, uh, a little go back a little bit further, I had, uh, when I was in, I had spoken in Australia. Uh, for a, a wonderful group out there, an LGBTQ, amazing church out there. 
And I was meeting a lot of people who were hurt who had come out of Hillsong Church um, because they were gay or lesbian or bisexual, transgender. And, uh, and so I just kept hearing these really stories of these people who, who loved this church but were so hurt because they didn't have a place at the table. So when I met Carl Lentz, um, I was in a cafe, I think with Pete Rollins, and uh, Carl came over to our table and goes, hey, you guys, blah, 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 and said something. And I was like, oh, hey, how's it going? And I didn't know who Carl was, and then Pete told me. And so I, I walked over to Carl's table and I said, listen, I have talked with some people in the LGBTQ community who were really hurt by Hillsong. And I would love the chance to sit down and talk to you about my thoughts and ideas uh, about why I think inclusion and being gay affirming is very important and valuable to the church. And so we met three or four times. Um, we lived in a, near each other in a similar neighborhood in, the, in, in Williamsburg. And we met a few times out in the park or walked around the place and walked around Williamsburg and talked about that. And obviously he did not come around to being gay affirming, um, but we did have those conversations. And I just say that because, you know, rarely do I meet mega preachers who are willing to sit down and have conversations and talk this kind of stuff out. And uh, he seemed like someone who did have a heart to want to understand, but but I think the pressures of being in a giant denomination and in a mega church and being paid well and and having it all was probably too much to risk. And unfortunately, we get in those places. That's why I would love if all the churches agreed to do like a livable wage. We just pay our pastors livable wages in the cities they live in so they can take care of their families, you know, go on a vacation, but also be pastors and we don't have to worry about becoming rock stars and making all these crazy decisions. But anywho... I don't know what my point was. I guess my point is this, is that when we see people fall and see people make mistakes, obviously this is personal to me because my family was probably one of the biggest scandals in the country in the 80s. I've seen it from both sides of the church and, and people outside of the church. And this is what I would, 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 my advice, an insider's advice, okay? Um, it would be this, uh, avoid simple thinking. Avoid assuming that you know what's going on. Um, avoid binary thinking. And what I mean binary thinking is like good and evil. Um, I think it's so easy to take people in particular positions of, of their work in their life and go, oh, well, they do this. Well, if they're a pastor and they've done this, then they must automatically be bad or, or horrible or evil or curling their mustache. Um, but I often think about it when we watch like you ever watch like, like, uh, like movies about rock stars' lives or movie stars' lives and and biopics, you know? And you always see the biopic, the person like, oh, they're getting famous and they're young and they're innocent and blah blah blah, and then they go and they get their drug phase and their life falls apart because they get too much fame and everybody's around them you know, telling them what to do and what not to do, and they get people whispering in their ears, and their life falls apart, and then they get better, and then they get their career back. You know, we, we see this story play out over and over again and in, in biopics all the time. And what, is, what, what I think is interesting 
is somehow we think that human nature is, is so different. I think we're all unique. I, I do. I think we all have different personalities and different backgrounds. But I also think there's this, this idea of this type of thing of when people get rushed into fame, get rushed into, oh, you're special. And then when you put God into the, the mix of like, oh, you're God's called person, you know, that really screws with your head because you all of a sudden think like, oh, well, I must, I'm God's special voice. I, you know, I'm God's telephone, you know, and sometimes you believe all the good things that are saying, saying about you. Unfortunately, I have the opposite where I believe every bad thing that's being said about me. Not anymore, but I used to. Um, but you believe your own press. And that puts that person in a horrible situation because one minute they're on top, everybody loves them. The next minute, no one likes them, you know. But it's just human experiences that we all go through. I'm not saying we have to say, oh, just, hey, get back up on stage. No, because we talked about what restoration was last week. If you didn't hear it, get and listen to the talk from last week. You know, there's accountability. There's hard conversations. There's truth-telling. There's all that stuff in, in restoration. Um, but I think we've got to embrace the dialectic. And the dialectic, which, which Hegel talks about, um, the dialectic is what I've learned in dialectic behavioral therapy, which has changed my life, is that sometimes two opposites can be true. And sometimes we have to learn to embrace that, that strangeness, that, that, that weird dialectic in humans' lives when we look at them. And so I think that's the important thing to do. And not to jump to conclusions. I think that's a lot of things that people are either like, you know, you, you, often people will go to sides and be like, we just got to get him back. You know, we just got to destroy him forever. You know, and it's like, maybe we should meet in the middle and figure out a healthy way. Maybe we should figure out what's going on in their life, what they want in life, what they're feeling in life. And if restoration is possible, you know, I don't know. These are just the type of things I think about um, when, when, when leaders make horrible mistakes. I also constantly think about, I also think about the people who feel betrayed and feel hurt and feel like victims. I mean, it's just, in the church, unfortunately, there's so many victims because the, the atmosphere we've allowed to be created in the church. You know, the fact that some churches allow their, their, their pastors to be in these, such a powerful position of leadership and to be like rock stars and things like that. Um, but the fact is we all fall short. We all make mistakes. We are all human. And I think we've got to avoid allowing, especially pastors, but anybody in your life, musicians, actors, philosophers, scientists, anybody, you know, the guy that works at the bank, you know, we can't put any of them on pedestals because you will always be let down when you put people up here because no one belongs up here. And I think that's one of the things I love about Galatians is Paul continues to say, you don't believe you don't belong up here, but you also don't belong down here. We all just need to be working through this together, running our race, living life, taking care of ourselves, and helping each other with our burdens as we go through it. And I think that's why Paul is so important with this. And Paul is constantly reminding us, do not compare yourself to other people. You know, and often we think of that as like, don't compare yourself to the super successful person. Like, I won't compare myself to Rob Bell, so I, I won't feel horrible that I'm not Rob Bell. But I also don't need to compare myself to like, you know, Jerry Falwell Jr. either. Like, oh, thank God I'm not that guy, you know. And so then all of a sudden I can just point out, be like, thank God I'm not that person or that person. Because then you start to just make yourself rise above all these people. And then you become this self-righteous person. And it creeps in really, it just sneaks in. It's, it's very cunning. 
And I think that was the issue with the law. And what Paul is confronting in Galatians with the law is saying, well, the law keeps in, and all of a sudden you think you're superior. You know, instead of white superiority or white power, it's religious power, and your religion is superior, or you're better than that person because you haven't failed, or more likely you have not been caught failing. Um, I do think, and I will admit, hypocrisy is a huge problem. It, 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 it does bother me greatly when I see these people saying, like, you know, gay people can't be in relationships. Unmarried people, you know, if they have sex, they're bad. And then they go and do the same thing. But at the same point, I also realize that it's a very normal thing for humans to have is hypocrisy. And so I think there's got to be better ways for us to deal with hypocrisy. Because hypocrisy drives me crazy. But I have to admit, I'm sure I've been a hypocrite a few times in my life as well. So I think taking an honest evaluation of yourself when looking at others and seeing if you could handle those type of situations. Um, one of the things I read in one of the magazines was talking about the pastor, he, how they you know, took a car into their service and, and went up the back elevator and they just came out and spoke and then left. You know? And I was like, oh, I could never do that. Why would I ever do that? But then I thought, well, I don't give six sermons a day to about 1,000 people each. So I haven't been in that situation. And maybe that's not the best way to do that situation, but I can see where people would say, oh, you know, you need to have your strength if you're an introvert or if you're that. So I'm always constantly trying to think, like, how do I not just judge this person because it's not what I would do, you know? And um, if I got into that situation, would I fall into that same problem? Would I have a hard time with that? Um, <clears throat> anyhow, there we go. The dialectic is... Uh, what an amazing thing. And I think we're all trying to get away from binary thinking. So if we're, we don't want binary thinking, we, don't, we, we say that there are all these non-binaries, then I think we have to be willing to give that to other situations as well that we don't like. Because I think often we just want to simplify when we judge. And Jung said that people judge because, um, because thinking is tough. Because thinking is hard. That's why we judge is because critical thinking is not something that we want to do. All right, so we are in Galatians. We're doing Galatians Roundup and um, Galatians Roundup. I like to just give things weird names. Um, and, uh, the overview, the, the, the Passover. Um, Galatians. One, um, well, you know, what, what, I've said this before. Paul's writing this rebuke letter to the Galatians. He's, um, he's, uh, he's rebuking them. He's talking to them about grace. I mean, talk about a dialectic if there ever was one. I think this is why I'm so drawn to this because I, I, I like the, almost the chaos of, of this book or the, um, you know, it's just kind of this like, like, uh, I don't know, I'll think of the word soon. But anyway, it, it, it's just unique. I, I just like it because there's, there, there's just, this, this book does have a lot of, of dialectic in it. You know, it doesn't seem, it should not work. A, a, a rebuke letter should not be a, a, the greatest book written on grace, you know, in the Bible. Um, <laughs> but it is. 
um, a book saying, well, look how good I am and I am a pastor and, and, and trying to prove that you're a good pastor at the same time, you know, to prove yourself, still be a really great book on grace. Doesn't, but there's a dialectic at work and there's all these different truths, shooting, shooting, shooting back and forth. Yeah, it's paradoxical. It's, um, it's like, an, it's abstract, you know, um, I, I was talking to Pete last night, and Pete's like, Jay, you always think in the abstract, and then when you look at abstract paintings, you're always trying to tell me what they are, you know, and he's like, you're always thinking in the abstract, you know, and, and, I, and, and I, I like this type of abstract thinking, and I like that there's this abstractness to, to the book of Galatians. So I'm, we're just gonna, I'm gonna go through just a few of my favorite verses, uh, one through three, and then we'll do four through six uh, next week. Um, but we're gonna jump into Galatians 1. And where I'm gonna jump in first is where, um, where Paul is, is just let's, let's go. He just lets, lets them have it. And he says, um, I'm astonished that you are quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and in truth and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if an angel from heaven should proclaim you a gospel contrary to what we proclaimed to you, that's a pretty bold statement, let that one be accused. As we have said before, so now I repeat, if anyone proclaims to you a gospel contrary to what you received, let that be one under a curse. And, and these are bold words. And I love this thing. He's like, I'm astonished that you are turning away so soon. Um, and, and, and in my own life, and, and me and Caleb have talked about this a lot. Um, and, and a few other folks in my circle have talked a lot. And I think we've talked a lot about here, but... But I'm always astonished when I go onto social media. I'm, I'm astonished by how quickly sometimes, um, I, I, this is hard to say, I guess, but I, I, I'm not surprised when, when, when my conservative-leaning brothers and sisters, in, 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 especially in my own faith and Christianity, are mean. It doesn't surprise me as much because I grew up in it. So I didn't grow up in the mainline denominations. Those are the ones I ran to for safety. But... I guess what I'm, I, I'm often shocked that my progressive friends are so quick to judge, you know, and, and, because that's why I ran to them because I thought this is a safer place. They're not going to be as judgmental. They're going to think differently because, you know, they have, you know, especially my, my, my Lutheran brothers and sisters because they know so much about grace, especially ELCA brothers and sisters um, who know so much about grace are, 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 aren't going to do this. And then I'm like, oh, wait, but why are they doing that? Why are they jumping on this? And I think it's because human nature is really strong. You know, I think the, the idea of, of, the, of, of what Jung said about it's just easier to judge, that sometimes we just fall into that easy mindset of just going like, this seems bad, so it's bad, rather than looking at the dialectic, rather than empathizing. Um, it's easier to assume than try to empathize. It's easier to think rather than like, what would I do if I was in that situation? Um, but I think 
that's what Paul is asking us to do. I think that's what Christianity is asking us to do, is to humanize one another. And I think that's why we have things where Paul says, all fall short of God's standard, but yet God in his gracious kindness declares us not guilty. You know, if someone falls, you who are strong should be gentle and humble and help them back up on their feet. I mean, Paul and them are continuously hitting with this, you know. And what if we embraced those, those, those scriptures as much as we embrace, like, the Beatitudes, you know, as much as we know that we're supposed to visit the prisoner and visit the sick and take care of the homeless? Um, not that everybody does that perfectly, but I know a lot of people on both sides who do it really, really well, you know. Um, you know, I think evangelicals know how to help the poor know how to do great bus ministries, know how to bring people in and do things. You know, they're, they're, I've seen so many evangelical churches do amazing work with the poor. And I, I've seen folks on, on, on the left also do amazing, equally amazing work with the poor, you know, um, and everybody in between. But what I want to say is what if we also took this idea of, of restoration seriously, of, of compassion seriously, of, of living in the reality that we're all fall short? You know, that, oh, that could have been me easily. I think that's one of the things I loved about the 12-step group in AA is in AA, people get in there and go automatically like, um, um, hi, my name's Jay and I'm an alcoholic. You see, like, I automatically admit what I am. And we all know that we're only just one drink away from being back to where we were. And that that's part of our lives. And I've never sat in a meeting where someone fell off the wagon and someone went, oh my gosh, I can't believe that happened. You had 20 years. What are you doing? What were you thinking, you idiot? I've, you, know, you can never come back here. You've disappointed us all. No. What they do is they hear them, they hug them, they go up, they pick a white chip, you know, and, they, they, and, we, stay, and we just keep working. You know, and we learn what worked from the past and what didn't work from the past. We know that that's history now. But we learn from that history and we move forward. You know, and that's what a radical concept. And it, it really works well in, in the 12 Steps program. And what if the church was more like a 12-step program where we handed out those white chips? You know? And I think that's what Paul is calling us to. I, I think that's what Bill W. saw when, when in, the, in the Bible, you know, is that there was this, this, this amazing grace that just, it wasn't saying we don't work hard that we don't have to work hard to learn from our mistakes, that we don't have to help others. No, that's all part of getting well. Um, but it learned to be able to surrender and know who we were and know that, you know, by the grace of God, that's not me. You know, that could be me tomorrow. That's why you're here one day at a time, because you know that could be me tomorrow. And, and, and so when you have that idea of, well, this could be me if I was in a similar situation, um, a lot more grace is given to the other. And uh, in all sorts, in every area, not just to the people in leadership, but the people who are hurt under bad leaders um, as well. You know, uh, unfortunately in the church, I don't think there's much leadership training that's, that's great. I think there should definitely probably be more of that in the church. Um, I digress. Um, see, I don't have Caleb here to like, Bring me back. <laughs> um, so, so Paul's saying we're getting back into that, that thinking of 
you know, no white chip for you, you're out, you know, the law, you've got to do all these things. And if you don't do these things, then, you know, you're, you're not worthy. And if you sin, then you need to make a sacrifice and you need to do all this stuff. And, you know, there's no grace for you. There's no, no, no work, working your way back to sobriety. And so it's another good news. And the only reason I know that is because we've read through this book. So Paul goes on to say, I am now seeking human approval or God's or God's approval, or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, I think this is a really important thing here is because often the message of grace, often the message of inclusion, and oftentimes these things, ironically, are said, oh, you're trying to be a people pleaser. You're trying to win people over. And what I found out is it's the exact opposite, is that Often when you get more inclusive and you take away the us and them mentality, you take away something that makes people's, sometimes people's identity are so built in and who they're against. Uh, another thing I've seen a lot of is a lot of times people's identity, identities are based on, on their wounds and who's hurt them. And so, so often we'll see people who are kind of become like these, these, these justice warriors of, of saying, well, I'm going to expose all the horrific things of the church. And so they just spent making fun of it, critiquing it, taking it apart. And I get that that could be part of, of, of your healing. I'm not even going to say that it's a horrible thing. But what I'm saying is, is that they, they end up embracing the, the victimhood, the vic- their pain and their hurt, and that becomes their identity. And Paul is trying to bring us back in and say your identity is not in, in your leadership. It's not in your pain. It's not in your victimhood. It's not in, in your, your status, uh, high or low. You know, I think that's why he keeps saying it's in Christ because I think what he's trying to say, it's in grace. It's in the fact that we all have a lack and realizing we all have that lack that can't be filled and we have to live with that. And, um, you know, Sin is basically the idea, I don't believe it was Kant that said that, but sin was the idea of, uh, I'm not sure, but I think it was, of, of sin is not, sin is just trying to fill that lack with things that will never fill it. We just continuously just try to fill a lack that's not there. Um, so we, we get these identities and all this stuff. And, and so when you come along and say, let's clear the board of the identities, let's clear the boards of the, let's, get rid of the us and them mentality, let's show grace, let's live in grace, let's live in mercy, let's get rid of these rules and regulations, let's make life a little bit more dialectic rather than binary. Um, You're not winning a lot of people over. But that's what they were accusing Paul of, is that he was trying to win people over through the message of grace and by getting rid of the law because they were like, well, the law is hard, you know, and the law has standards and the law makes you do this and you makes you do that, you know, and you do this and then we know who if you're good or bad, you know, because we want to know if you're good or bad by what you do. And Paul's saying, no, that's not how it works. And so, you know, they're like, well, now you're just gonna let people be willy-nilly and do whatever they want. But he also makes it clear that that's not really how it works either because what he's wanting to do is see us receive the fruits of the Spirit and to live a life of peace, patience, kindness, hopefulness. He wants to see us loving our enemies. He wants us to see us not biting and devouring one another. He wants to see us to go into a better world uh, through relationships. And so he's going saying, you know, this has to be deconstructed, and what we're reconstructing is, is a community based on recognizing each other's humanity and showing each other grace and love through that humanity.
All right, so. Paul's not people-pleasing. He's just telling it like it is. That's six through 10. Then I was gonna just read one uh, 23, which I like, just because Paul says this. He goes, <clears throat> the only the only heard, talking about himself, about what people had heard about him. They had only heard it said, the one who formerly was persecuting us now proclaims the very faith he was once trying to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. And I like the fact that Paul, you know, reminds people of, yeah, I was, I was a bastard. You know, yeah, I was trying to destroy you. I was wanting to have you killed. I was wanting to rid the world. But now that I don't want to do that anymore. So he's showing this, this, this trans, this repentance, because repentance is just turn or change that has happened in his life. And people are grateful for that. And, you know, I think so often we don't celebrate those victories. We don't celebrate, we don't have the white chip in the church, you know. We don't celebrate uh, the, the, the restored, you know. Um, instead, we're kind of like with kid gloves. And uh, we don't celebrate forgiveness as much as we should, you know. Um, because we aren't gods. We're not angels, you know. We're not inhuman so we remember things we're not like a computer and we can just delete all the bad stuff you know we hold on to those things but you know in corinthians 13 we're encouraged to like love never gives up never loses faith is always hopeful you know endures through every circumstance keeps no record of when it's been wronged so we are encouraged to do stuff that i think are worthy of a religion of the fact of where there is a sacrifice, it's not sacrificing animals anymore, but there's a sacrifice for us to let go of the past, to learn from the past, but not keep it as a record. And for me, when I understood the concept of grace, what became clear to me is that God was not this huge record keeper in the sky. And that's what I thought God was, this, this mean God who wanted to throw a lightning bolt down into my pants every time I did something wrong. Or um, was constantly keeping a record and score, and then one day I would have to watch a video of it when I got to heaven of all the horrible things I did, you know. And then all of a sudden I'm reading record. Love doesn't keep a record of when it's been wronged. I mean, it was just blew my mind that that happened, you know. And if First John is right that God is love, then that's probably pretty good news. If uh, if we can't do it, maybe God can. But I think if this is the example we're trying to follow, is this the sacrifices we're trying to make? If this is the cross we're trying to take up, I think we have to look at it in a complete way, as far as we can. You know, I'm not saying that everybody can do everything. That's why we're a body and we all have different parts. Um, but I do think, you know, focus on 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 restoration and and celebrating people's turnarounds, not just the first time, but maybe the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth. I mean, that's, Jesus talks about forgiveness. I know this is a lot to take in. I know it's really hard, um, you know, but I've lived through it. And I think too, is when we hear the word forgiveness, we also go into that simple thinking rather than critical thinking. And we don't think like, we just think forgiveness is like letting somebody off, you know, and uh, I don't think that's really necessarily how forgiveness works. I think there's justice involved, you know. I think accountability is important. Um, I just think we've got to de-simplify it, like the dialectic thinking of, well, if we forgive them, then they're going to get away with it. Or if we don't forgive them, then they're going to have to sit and suffer in it forever. 
You know, I mean, I think we have to realize is like, it, it, don't don't make it so simple. You know, I think people are always worried about, well, what about the people who are hurt, or what about the abuse? What if they're abuser? We shouldn't let them back in power, and that happens far too often. And you're right, it does happen far too often. But it's rethinking of how restoration works. It's rethinking of how forgiveness works. It's also, you know, like I said in my last talk, it's not saying that someone, if you forgive them and restore them, they go right back into the same job, you know. It's not like the alcoholic just like, okay, now, now you're a bartender. Come the bartender again, you know. You know, it's like, no, you, you might need to think of going into a, a different line of work because you're putting yourself in harm's way constantly, you know. So maybe managing the bar is not the best idea. You know, maybe we can find, maybe you can work in the kitchen, you know, if you still want to work there, or maybe we can get you a job somewhere else. You know, it's, it's, it's thinking through things, you know, it's being human and living humanity and having human experiences and using wisdom and, and, uh, uh, you know, being wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove, um, when we do that. So anyway. So, um, jump over to Galatians 2. We're kind of all over the place today because we're just doing this, this, this review of, of Galatians. So, a part of me for just jumping from one thing to another. <sighs> uh, Galatians 2, and where did I, the first one I hit was 6. And one reason I, I just hit 6 is that I like it. It says, is because at this point, Paul and his, his, his buddy were being spied on to see if they were circumcised so they could say, see, they're not really following Judaism or, or, or you know, um, they were Judaizers were the name of, of this particular group that were coming in. So we'll see if, you know, his, his, his partner who's with him is circumcised or not, you know, and so we're going to spy on them. And, and Paul's upset about this and, and thinks that that's like not, way Christians would act by, by spying on each other. Um, and, and so he says, uh, we did not submit to them, even for a moment, so the truth of the gospel might always remain with you. And from those who were supposed to be acknowledged leaders, what they actually were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those leaders contributed nothing to me. I like Paul's style here, he's like, well, those leaders gave me nothing. You know, they spied on me and I got nothing out of it, you know. Um, but what I like is where he says God shows no partiality. Like God's not partial. Like God doesn't have his special calling. And I, this is one time brings us back to the idea of leadership in the church is that we often think that these people have a special calling by God or a special partiality by God and think that they're more important than the person cleaning the toilets at the church or keeping, you know, cleaning the church. I mean, think about if you didn't have them, what the church would look like, what the toilets would look like. Um, everybody plays a part. Often the pastor does all those things when they're starting. Um, but the idea is that everybody has these different parts to play in order to make these things happen in, in the church and in work and in jobs and in community. We all have... We're all different parts of the body, of our communities, of our workplaces, and so on and so forth. Um, but I love the idea that God shows no partiality. So there's no special super leader, you know. So it's so funny that we pay attention when, like, these, like, crazy evangelical pastors come in on the news and they say something really wild, you know. 
And, and then we're like, oh, can you believe he said that? Oh, 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 I can't believe that. Well, the only reason we're saying that is because they're famous. You know, they don't have a special call. They don't have the special saying, the special word. They may have studied a lot, and, and, and I'll give them that. Um, but sometimes it's just like, they're just saying stuff that are, that's theologically screwed up, you know, or they're just dependent on a type of theology that they've subscribed to that we don't agree with, but we're all making this big thing out of it as though because they're supposed to be something more. And, uh, but remembering God has no partiality kind of lets you go like, you know, so I'm able to look at some of these guys and go like, you know what, these guys are just humans in over their head. You know, and it's actually kind of embarrassing to see the things that these guys say and do, you know, and I kind of wish I could just make an appointment with them and sit down and have a good t conversation and just be like, you're missing a lot of things. Like, did you think about this? Did you think about that? Did you think about this? You know, I don't necessarily want to get angry at them. I just want to be like, you're kind of making a fool out of yourself. Like, uh, was it that preacher? I think her name's Paula White, where she's like, angels from Africa, angels from, the, you know, like all of a sudden angels live in different states and continents and things like that and it's like well, where is where are you getting this crazy stuff you know like i mean the, like it might be time to get study a little bit more it might be time to get different people around you you know it might you might need to just you know ha have some folks in your life that go uh, what you're saying is is kind of crazy you know um but often we think by the size of someone's congregation and the, the spot of their fame that they're somehow more special um, but that's just human thinking. That's not, there's nothing in the Bible that would say that pe pastors with big churches have a, a special calling. It's just, no, they're better communicators and maybe better organizers. Um, anyhow, but God has no partiality. All right, I just wanted to say that because I think it's important. God shows no favor to men. Um, and then in 11 through 16, um, which I'm not going to read for time's sake, um, Paul rebukes Peter. Now, obviously, what Paul is kind of flexing here a little bit and showing that, hey, look, he's doing this kind of God shows no partiality. Like, here's the head of the church. I had to rebuke him because he didn't want to sit with Gentiles, you know, and he was returning us back to the law. He was, he was, he was doing the us and them. He was doing the binary thinking of, of on our religion and bringing that good and bad or in or out you know, to the point where he was convinced and he even convinced my friend Barnabas who's with me and hanging out with me to do it because he got afraid of what guy, James's guys were going to think, you know. And so Paul rebukes Peter and says, this, is, this isn't who we are. This, this is going to make the gospel look like crap. This, this isn't Christianity. This isn't, you know, and he speaks the truth to, to, to Paul. And, oh, what it would be nice if we could just speak the truth to each other one-on-one, uh, -on -one, rather through passive-aggressive social media ways. Um, but yeah, so, so Paul confronts Peter, and I think that's just an important thing to see is that there's always been issues in the church, there's always been great disagreements in the church, and there's always been need for people to stand up and say the right thing, um, but to say it in a way that's constructive. And I think that's what Paul was doing. He didn't come in and just like, man, you're just an ass. You know, you're horrible and you're evil and how could you do this? No, he goes, what you're doing is putting us on the back. You're, you're reversing the way 
we're moving. We're moving towards inclusion, not exclusion. And now you're excluding. And now you're making people think that the gospel is an exclusionary gospel that only particular people are in. And that's not the truth. So we can't do that. You know, you're making people believe that we're saved by the law, not by grace, that we're not, it's not about grace, but that it's through law that we're here, you know. And so Paul comes in constructively and says that, and that's the part I'm going to read is kind of his, a little bit of his rebuttal here in 15. We ourselves are Jew by birth and not Gentile sinners. Thanks, Paul. Um, Yet we know that a person is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So automatically he goes in and just states clearly what they know. Let's just, he's just having a review. Hey, let's review this because this, what we're doing right now doesn't make sense. Um, and we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by doing works of the law because the one will be justified by the works because no one will be justified by the works of the law. But... In our effort to be justified by Christ, we ourselves have been found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. But if we build up again the very thing that I once tore down, then I demonstrate that I am a transgressor. And what I like about this is Paul is such a good argument that Paul is giving here is because he's saying if we build up the old system, this is what Peter's doing through his, 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 we're building up an old system. And that's why I don't like legalism at all. I don't like legalism if it's progressive legalism. I don't like if it's conservative legalism. I don't like if it's uh, middle of the ground legalism. I don't like legalism. Um, because it continuously tries to restructure a law. You know, it kinds of restructure the way that you have to do it, the way that you're supposed to do it. Um, it, it starts to set up the rules of who's in and who's out. And so I think often when we see these leaders fail and make mistakes, we all of a sudden rebuild the, the same system that they built that hurt us to hurt them back. And to go like, well, see, now you're the one who's not good enough. Now you're the one who doesn't do that. And it's like we're returning the same law. Like you created a law that you couldn't live up to well, now we're going to return that favor and give you that same law that you taught us. And I, I've often said, you know, man, it's that pastor, you know, he's getting what he, what he you know, he's, he's laying in the bed that he made. You know, um, the, of course there's no restoration in his search because he never taught restoration, you know. Um, but then the fact is, is that comes from us who are people who are listeners and part of a community. Some of us have to rise up in a leadership position and be like, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to stoop to that level. I'm not going to become the very thing that wounded me. I'm not going to become the very thing that put this person into an impossible situation that they can never meet up. Because what we do is then we just create a cycle. You know? And then the next pastor comes in and says, well, you know, I'm here to replace your old pastor because he couldn't handle it, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, yeah, that guy was a real bastard or she was a real bastard. And then what do we do? We just recreate this at the same atmosphere of saying like, well, they couldn't lead up, so now we're going to find somebody who can do it. And the fact is, is not a lot of people can do it that way. You know, we, we crush each other with impossible standards. Well, I think it was Jesus said, you cross land and sea to make twice the sons of hell that you yourselves are. And, um, you know, that's what we often do is we just keep this cycle going. 
And there has to be someone who just stands up and says, we're human. We all fall short. We're all making horrific mistakes. You know, we're all shit sometimes. You know, we all want to escape. We all have pain. We all have things we don't like. We all see beautiful people and feel lust in our hearts. You know, sometimes we just want to have a drink and calm our ass down, you know. Um, Sometimes we lose touch with reality. You know, sometimes we don't spend enough time with our own children. You know, sometimes we don't spend enough time with our... our, I mean, I've, I've had two divorces. I know what it's like to watch a marriage, like, fade away. And I know what it's like to watch a marriage go into, like, resentment and hurt and pain. You know, I'm not above that. I'm not above being in that system. You know? And if I just want to go like, you're all bad, you're all this, you know, if I just blame both my ex-wives and that I take none of the responsibility, then I don't grow from that. You know, if I just go, I'm going to live in the victimhood my whole life. Well, when I lived in the victimhood, I grew a giant beard. I saw a picture of myself the other day. Thank, thanks, uh, Apple, for having those. Do you remember yourself four years ago? I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, I was miserable. Um, but, but these ideas that, you know, if I lived, when I lived my life as a victim and as a hurt and as pain, I tried to take my own life. I didn't want to live anymore. But then through things like dialectic behavioral therapy and good therapists and good friends, I learned to live a life that was different than that and not to rebuild the old system. And I think we do that. I think that's what's the key here is just to look at these words if we want to take more of a radical look at it. Of, you know, we, be, we become trespassers when we rebuild the old system is that are we continuously rebuilding the system so quickly we don't even realize it? So when we become the harsh critics, and everybody's like, oh, I like to be a sharp critic online. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a deep thinker. I'm a, I'm a critical thinker. Being a critical thinker doesn't mean that you're a critic. Sometimes being a critical thinker means that you step back and you don't jump the gun. You don't go, oh, I'm going to just continue to repeat this process forever, and the church is just going to continue to be toxic. If we want to revolutionize the church, then we have to recognize one another's humanity. And... Um, we might have to learn to be stronger in certain areas of our lives, you know, and we might have to learn to realize that being a victim happens in life, um, but living in victimhood makes us destructive. And what I've seen sometimes is that some of these folks who have been hurt by the church end up going back and becoming critics of the church, and they criticize so harshly and so angrily and so mean and so, so much venom that they have become the very thing they hated. Because I'm like, what's the difference from you than that pastor who was spewing the venom, spewing the hate, and being judgmental, and raising impossible standards? So what we do is we rebuild a system. We just do it with, we just change, change the shot. We just, you know, we go to move to camera three instead of camera one. And so we just have a different look. Oh, well, I'm over here on the left now, so, I, my, so this type of judgment is okay. No, that's still legalism. You know, you might have a smaller group, a smaller them. You know, the, your us's might be a lot bigger and the they might be a lot smaller and they might be bizarre and they might say funny stuff and they might be different than you. Um, but that's what the pastor was saying. You're different. You're not right. You don't have it together. And now you're able to sit from your judgment seat and we become the very thing we hate and we can't even see it because somehow it's like, well, I, now I can listen to cooler music and I can be around cooler people and I've got to, 
the people who I think think differently, but you're not thinking differently. You've become judgmental. You've become someone who allows your, who, 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 who ministers out of your pain. And I will tell you this, a lot of these horrible pastors that you see are ministering out of brokenness and pain and feeling worthlessness. And the only time they can feel good or alive, like a serial killer is when they kill, is when they get up there and preach and they judge. You know, so, so we've got to stop the cycle. Um, stop rebuilding the old system because we make ourselves guilty when we rebuild the old system. And often we become the very thing we hated when we rebuild the old system. And we find out we're transgressors. Paul goes on to say, for through the law died, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live in God. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And by saying that, when you're saying Christ lives in me, you're seeing someone who's willing to make a sacrifice, willing to put their life on the line, willing to show grace, willing to sit with their enemies, willing to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Feeling for, completely forsaken by God, which I can completely relate to. And then within the next breath say, forgive them, Father. If you're there, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Now, think about that moment on the cross. This is the most intense moment of Christ's life, the most heroic, mo horrific moment of Christ's life to feel completely abandoned by the God that he has came and basically revolutionized and then to scream out about those people who are killing him, have turned on him, betrayed him, and say, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. Now, when we say, well, we want to be more like Jesus, then Jesus is not just the Beatitudes, which I think are amazing and we all should have, but Jesus is also on the cross. Jesus is also crying out, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Could you imagine if that's what, oh, well, I'm going to forgive you because you have no idea what you're doing. What? Yeah. And I'm going to help you figure that out. We're going to figure out so you do know what you're doing. But right now you don't know what you're doing. And, and if, if, if I go the other way, then I'm just going to be you. And I don't want to be you. I mean, that's the best revenge is don't be them. Live life well. Move on. You know? Anyway. I'm on my soapbox again. But Christ lives in me. And the life I now live is the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I love this part. Even though I'm not a big atonement theory guy, I still love this part. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. So if we are justified by what we do and what we don't do and what certain things we do because of religion and, and, and legalism, if that's really what it's all about, if it's really about good works and bad works, I think both separate us from God, I'll be honest with you, and that's a whole other talk. But then we nullify that moment of Christ's on the cross. We nullify the forgiven Father, they know not what they do moment on the cross. This is hard stuff to take, and I know that's probably why we don't have you know, 10,000 listeners to this place, because it's tough. I struggle with it. But I think about it all the time. Um, 
you know, I think that's a good place to stop today, to be honest with you. We've gone an hour, and um, so then we'll just do three, four, because I'm not a big fan of four, so we can quickly get through that, and six next week. So um, I'm going to try to do Afterglow. Like I said, I don't have my co-pastor, my, my DJ, Caleb, here in the house. Um, so, hey, if you guys have some pushback, I will try to go through my phone and look at these things and see if there's any pushback or or nice things or bad things or good things or medium things. Gosh, you guys commented. You guys had a lot of conversations. All right, so I'm just going to start here. We got one that says, Preach, brother, preach. <laughs> Comment on Facebook. Thank you. All right. Uh, Thomas says, Yes, false binary thinking is one of the world's intellectual trap, one of the worst intellectual traps of our time. I concur. April, uh, that is what is respectable about you, Jay. You don't let money influence you. Faith, the side with bigotry. You fight for inclusion without wavering. Well, I thank you. Um, we don't have a ton of money right now for me to be tempted. I'd like to give it a try, but <laughs> thank you. It's so sad that those churches cannot accept everyone. That is, that is it is horribly sad. Um, I wanted to just talk about this for a minute. There was an ELCA pastor, gay pastor, um, who was recently murdered, um, and he preached a lot of inclusion and love and grace, and um, oh, I, I posted about it on my, my Facebook. And uh, I'm going to look into it further to see what happened, but it was just a horrific thing. And, and, and the point was is that I posted about this wonderful pastor's life, and um, you know what drove me crazy is that everybody, that like, an argument started on Facebook, about if it's a sin to be gay or not, you know? And I, I, it breaks my heart that we're still caught up having this conversation um, because I really do think if, if you understood Greek and Hebrew and historical context, you'd be with me and be affirming, honestly, um, just to hit brass tacks on that one. But also the fact is that, you know, someone's murdered and we're having that discussion. You know, it's grieving. It's a time of, of loss, and we're having that discussion. And I think it's it's kind of shows an example of how we've lost, and politics are even being brought up. And it just kind of shows like we've when we, we we lose touch with humanity, that we lost touch with humanity when we can't even just time take time to just mourn and say this is horrific, that we're automatically like let's have a conversation about theology, and uh, who's in and who's out. Um, really breaks my heart that we're we're still in, that we go to that place, you know. And so I, I encourage us to reflect on things like that. It's like when tragedy strikes, you know, do we not, you know, do we automatically, you know? I, I think that's one of the things I fear often about losing my father is that I know that I'll just have to take a break from social media for a while because um, even in death, people aren't aren't kind, you know, and. Um, and they don't realize that there's a lot of people who need time to mourn and had complicated relationships with those people. And maybe, you know, a lot of family and, and, and things like that. And to me, it's just not, you know, that blessed are they are mourn. Blessed those who mourn. You know, we're, we don't mourn it. You know, I think even if you're someone who, who's not an affirming Christian or pastor or person, you can still see the horror of when someone's life is taken 
for something like that. Anyway, I, I, maybe we'll talk about this later. Dialectics, also known as the dialectic method, is is a base is a base a disconnect between two or more people holding different points of views about a subject wishing to establish truth without the resonation method of arguments. Wikipedia. Oh, thank you, Greg, for sharing that. Um, good point. Don't compare yourself to the bad people either. There you go. So important not to compare yourself with others. Amen, Bob. Another one from Greg. Great point. We com- Why compare? We are each our, choice, our chosen children. We're called to loving all persons. You guys got a lot of good stuff. Love Carl Jung. Do you think that dialectic thought could be compared to dualistic thinking of Eastern thoughts? You know, I'm not sure. That's more of a question for Caleb. He's got a little bit more of, uh, of, of uh, he's a little bit more in touch with Eastern religions. Two J's, last point. Walking through the gates of prison isn't fun. Yet when you preach inside, dozens and dozens come forward. Yeah, amen. Amen. Okay, and one more from Thomas. Amen on progressive friends being quick to judge. That was brought home to me this week on social media as well. Someone I know was made into a meme without her knowing. The person sharing clearly did not know who the person was and found easy to judge them. I was forced to look at them as real people because, to me, she is. It is too easy to judge when we don't have relationships. It really is, you know. I've seen it so many times, even personal relationships where I've seen people just lives destroyed based on internet ideas and knowing like what the people were saying were just completely untrue. I mean, it's just, it, it, it you know, just, and, and from someone who was hurt by the church, now hurting these people and now spreading untruths about them, you know, doing a similar thing that they would despise if any pastor ever did it. So it was real. It's, it's really sad to see that. Some people are not in touch with their flaws. Uh, this is from Joanna. Some people are not touching the flaw with their flaws and it makes them harder for them to understand others. It really does. I think that's why it's important for us to figure out and take good looks, take look at ourselves and focus on ourselves. Um, unfortunately, though, they're not in, that, in, 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 in a community where that's being talked about or suggested or they're not seeing a therapist or reading good books. That often doesn't happen. And so... Um, you know, if we have friends like that, maybe those are ways we can be better friends is helping people look at themselves and think about them, what they're going on in those lives. The gospel's power is strong in people who admit they do not have their shit together. Amen. Um, Don Hardister. Hey, buddy. Love you. Paul would be so canceled in this air, says Caleb. You're... Very correct. Oh, Beth says, we miss you, Caleb. Uh, Thomas says, nice turnout today. Everyone, please try to donate to Revolution to keep the good work going. That is well appreciated. Thomas, thanks for saying that. We would appreciate that. Um, Beth Mills Ferguson is looking for an address. Hopefully, um, Caleb, if you're still listening, you could give Beth the address. Uh, Give her your address, maybe. Um, or mine, either one. Uh, 
All right. You guys are all so lovely and saying such nice things. Oh, here's somebody who has an old MacBook at home, Caleb. So they'll fire it up, see if it works. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, Steve says, you speak the truth. Thank you for saying what may be hard to say. Well, you're welcome. I mean, it's I, I do live for this day, you guys. I really do live to be able to sit down and communicate with you guys. <laughs> That's hilarious. Michael <laughs> says, there are two kinds of people in this world. Those who look at things from a binary point of views and those who don't. Ha <laughs> ha. I like a little comedy. And let's see, one more. It'd be nice if you could pull in Caleb on speaker somehow. Oh, that would be nice. Yeah, we just need to get all of our equipment updated. Hopefully we just won't have snow like this anymore. Or we'll just buy Caleb a snowmobile. I'm, uh, Steve says, I'm <clears throat> minded of, I think it's Freire's book. Pedagogy and the Oppressed, detailing the stage of liberation. One stage is where the oppressed start oppressing each other. And very true. That is often the oppressor. The oppressed become the oppressor. And things like, uh, I once had a therapist tell me that about the hierarchy of suffering and how often we can use our suffering uh, even to be at a better place at the table so we can have this hierarchy of I've suffered more than you've suffered. And um, I usually don't find that to be very productive in the human uh, human condition. Thank you all for coming today. Thanks for sharing with us. Also, again, like if anybody out there has an extra MacBook, an old MacBook that you're looking to get rid of, um, Caleb's MacBook is down. We need a new MacBook just so we can put up the sermons on top. And, you know, if, if you have one, we could use it ASAP. And... Um, I'm sure we can get you a tax write-off for that. Um, I'll talk to uh, Frank, our, our guy who handles all our finances in New York, and figure out what we can do for that. But we really would appreciate it um, just because we're kind of waiting on our GoFundMe check to come in because it's through nonprofits, so they do it differently. They do it only through online. And then they, if they can't do it, then they send you a check. So it's, it's just I, I've sent them an email last night trying to get some communication going with them so we can get those finances in so we can get the equipment we need. But thank you all for your support. Thanks for coming to Revolution. Lots of grace to you guys. Give lots of grace this week online. And if you like what you're hearing on Revolution, please share it. Please retweet. Please tell your friends about what we're doing. Um, please post it on Facebook. Um, I know nobody likes to retweet talks on Twitter, but if you can, go to our Revolution Twitter and retweet that stuff. Like it. Share it. Let people know about it. Tell your friends on Instagram what we're doing put us in your stories on Instagram. All that stuff helps so much to get the word out there and let people know what we're doing and keep our work going. And uh, right now we're so dependent on social media because of, like everyone else, COVID, um, we don't have a place to go. And this is our place is to be online with you and uh, to be an online community. So thanks for listening to Revolution. Lots of grace.